We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Now that's the proper way to start anything in church (laughs) in Kenya. Uh, in fact, even when I'm asked to speak in the schools, that's what's expected. The first thing out of your mouth should be, which means the Lord be praised. And I hope that's what will happen today. That, uh, as I often tell them in Kenya, uh, if you came here to get something from this old Mzungu, you'd probably be disappointed. But if you came here to get something from Jesus you won't be disappointed because Jesus promised where even two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. And Jesus is a great giver. <laughs> he, he's here among us and he wants to give each something. So uh, if you don't get something, I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's not my fault. You need to be open to what Jesus wants to give you today. Uh, We have a wonderful scripture today. I hope this is very familiar to you. Uh, If you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this statement and kept wondering what kind of salutation this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative, Elizabeth, has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Uh, Let me get rid of the obvious thing first. Uh, In this church, I probably don't even have to say it. But yes, I do believe in the virgin birth. I I say that because uh, there are a lot of organizations that still call themselves churches that if you ask their leadership that question, uh, sometimes apologetically, but more often proudly, they would say, oh no, we don't believe that anymore. 
You know, that's just a, an old legend that was somehow added to the story of Jesus in a mistaken attempt to enhance his reputation in the world or something like that. And, and it's prevalent, especially in Europe and America. Uh, I know I, uh, I did one year worth of a, a doctor ministry at Louisville Presbyterian Seminary. Uh, when I uh, moved out here, uh, I worked uh, at, out at UPS for, uh, what, a year and a half. And uh, UPS doesn't pay great, but they have these wonderful um, education benefits. Uh, I was working out on the ramp loading planes for, well, start at 1 in the morning till they were done, and then they moved it to start time at 2, but... Um, roughly six hours a day and but they paid they, they would pay for that uh, I was kind of surprised actually but I applied and they said yeah they would pay for doing a, a doctor ministry well Southern didn't want me because I was not in vocational ministry at the time I, I'd left my church and they said no we, this is for those who are in vocational ministry so I went over to Louisville Press and they said oh yeah we want you <laughs> Sadly, most of the people there don't believe in the virgin birth. They tell you, oh, you know, we're, we're educated, uh, we're uh, intelligent, scientific people, we know that can't happen. Um, quite frankly, that's the reason that so many of the so-called mainline churches are dying today. Uh, because if God can't or won't do a simple miracle like that, what else can't he do or won't he do? A God who can't even do that, quite frankly, is not worth worshiping. Uh, you see, it's very clear here, with God, nothing will be impossible. So I'm, I'm so thankful to be in this church. <laughs> uh, I praise the Lord for, for those churches that still hold on to the truth of the Scripture. Yeah, I know all the arguments, okay? <laughs> I know the virgin birth is only mentioned twice. Uh, quite frankly, once would be enough for me. But uh, I, I, I think we have to hold fast that we worship God who can do anything. Nothing is impossible with him. So, having got that out of the way, <laughs> uh, let me just make a few comments about uh, the story of Mary. Uh, I, I'd like to spend the whole service on this, but I feel that I'm supposed to do something else. But I, I want to make a few comments about sometimes in the Protestant church, we underrate Mary because the Catholic Church has overrated her so much. Uh, but Mary is a wonderful example of a person who sacrificed joyfully whatever dreams they had for their life in order to fulfill God's will for their life. Uh, we, we should really appreciate that here, here is a young woman who, I think like all people, must have had dreams for what her life was going to be. And yet she didn't count it a, a, a sacrifice. She joyfully accepted God's will for her life, even though it meant her life would be a hard life. 
as you read the accounts, uh, you know, as she uh, a little later encounters Simeon, and Simeon says, a sword will pierce your soul also. Uh, you think about what Mary went through. It was not easy, but what a blessing. Uh, someone who has the faith to accept what God wants for her. Uh, we should really admire that and, and uh, take it as a good example for us. Now, um, I thank you uh, again, Cameron, for a wonderful selection of uh, songs this morning. Uh, first Sunday of Advent, it's traditional to look at the prophecies, and, and that's, uh, uh, that's what we've done in the music, and, and that's where I feel that I'm led in this uh, message this morning. Um, if we go back to Genesis chapter 3, I think you all know the story. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates this good creation. When he's done, he says it's very good. And in this good creation, he prepares an ideal place for the first people. A place that has everything that they would need and more. It has the food and water, of course, but it has the beautiful things also. It's a place that's perfectly suited for human beings. And in that, he says to them, you can eat of any of the fruit of the trees. It's all good except this one here. This one in the middle of the garden. Do not eat it. In the day that you eat it, you will die. And we don't know how long they lived in that perfect place before Satan found a way in and tempted them. Uh, you know the story. Satan comes to Eve and uh, draws her attention to the tree, tells her the lie. Oh, no, you won't die if you eat that tree. In fact, it's good for you. It'll make you like God. And she eats and Adam eats and in doing so, they open up the door to all the problems, all the curses, all the trouble that's come into this creation. Well, in the middle of what's happening there, there are three bits of really good news. God had warned them, in the day that you eat that food, that, that fruit from that tree, You'll die. Now, in the Hebrew as well as in the English, there are three definitions for day. Uh, we sometimes talk about day as opposed to night, that day lasts from sunrise to sunset. Uh, we sometimes talk about day as meaning, uh, well, in the old meaning, it was sunset to sunset. Uh, nowadays, we talk about midnight to midnight as being one day. Uh, but there's another common use in English, although it's not as common as it used to be. Uh, but sometimes we talk about back in the day. Or um, in King David's day. Uh, a period of time. Now, God had complete freedom to interpret day however he wanted to. It was his, it was his choice. He's the one who spoke it. What did he mean by day? Well... Adam and Eve didn't die before sunset. So he didn't 
interpret it the first way. They didn't die within what we now call 24 hours, so he didn't interpret it the second way. In fact, as you read in Genesis chapter 5, Adam lives for 930 years. That was a day. Now, he did die. But Adam's day was 930 years, according to Genesis 5. Uh, we should see the grace of God. It's a good thing that uh, I'm not allowed to make those kind of decisions. Because if it had been me making the decision, I probably would have said, Oh, Adam and Eve messed up. I warned them. Do away with them. I'll start from scratch. You know, give me another handful of clay here and make a new one. But God didn't do that. Instead, God, first of all, he comes seeking the sinners. In the evening, God comes to the garden, as was his custom. <laughs> Adam, where are you? Now, when God asks questions, he doesn't need information. He, he knew where they were. Uh, what he was looking for was confession. Adam, where are you? Spiritually, where are you? Well, you know, they had hidden themselves. <laughs> Uh, they had seen their guilt, and they were ashamed, and so they tried to cover for it. Uh, but God doesn't just kill them, he comes seeking them. And God's still doing that. That's good news for us, isn't it? <laughs> that God is still seeking out those who have rebelled against him. The second bit of good news in Genesis chapter 3 is in the middle of the curses. Uh, God says, because you've done this, 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 this is what's going to happen. But in the middle of the curses, God says, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's the very first prophecy we have concerning the Messiah. The first indication that God is going to send someone who is going to give the victory over Satan and sin. Then as we get near the end of the chapter, there's a third bit of good news. Uh, in the Bible, uh, nakedness is a symbol for our guilt and shame before God. And you know how Adam and Eve tried to cover up for it <laughs> with leaves. Put some leaves together. Uh, our attempts to cover guilt are never successful. They just don't work. <laughs> uh, but what does God do? Yeah, you're right. Uh, God gives them clothes made out of animal skins. Um, God provides the covering for their shame. Uh, you see the grace of God here? Now, as you said, Rob, if the clothes are made out of animal skins, we know that some animals had to die to provide them. Uh, that this covering for guilt is not going to be cheap. That there's death involved in covering for sin. But that God will provide it. And so God embarks on this 
from our standpoint, long program to redeem us people, to bring us back to what he wanted us to be in the first place. Instead of wiping us out and starting over again, he, he starts working with people. And you know how hard-headed people are. <laughs> we all are. Cain murders Abel. Well, God gives Adam and Eve Seth. Uh, the, the families of uh, Cain and Seth uh, begin mixing. The world becomes very corrupt. Noah. Um, you have uh, the, the uh, uh, people rebelling against God after the flood, saying, no, we won't go out and fill the earth. We'll all get together and stay in one place. Babel. Uh, you have uh, God calling Abraham, well, Abram, <laughs> to start with, and saying to him, if you will follow me to the place I'm going to show you, I will bless you and make you a blessing to all the nations. And you have Isaac and Jacob. Uh, you have uh, the people of Israel. Uh, you have the 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Uh, you have God sending Moses and, and the Exodus. Uh, you have Joshua and the taking of the promised land. You have the 400 years of that terrible mess of the judges. <laughs> uh, you have the kings. You know, even David. <laughs> uh, David was a man after God's own heart, but he certainly had some serious sins in his life. And yet, God is working through all these things. God isn't done yet. What's he going to do? Uh, he continues to work through the, the time of the kings. Uh, you have the, the captivity where Israel's destroyed as a nation. And yet, God brings them back. Uh, <laughs> you have God working through all these centuries to come to the point here in Luke, that's told in Luke. And you see the, pro, uh, the uh, providence of God. Providence is sometimes a word that is uh, misused, I think. It comes from the same word as provide. What's God doing? He's providing for what we really need. God is uh, working through all these things, through, from our perspective, all this time, thousands of years, to provide what we really need. And you see his preparation in some clues here at the beginning of Luke. Zechariah. Do you know what the name Zechariah means? I think Sarah knows. <laughs> Zechariah means the Lord remembers. However many thousand years it was from the time that he spoke the words that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. I, I don't know. Some people say 6,000 years. I don't know. <laughs> From our perspective, a long time. God remembers. Elizabeth. The, the name Elizabeth means <laughs> God of promises. What does God remember? Well, one of the things he remembers is the promises he's made. He never forgets his promises. We may think he's forgotten, a lot of people through the thousands of years thought God had forgotten, but he hadn't forgotten. 
at just the right time. Uh, the Bible says in the fullness of time. <laughs> at just the right time, everything was prepared. And God sends Gabriel to speak to Zechariah in the temple. Now, I think uh, Pastor Grant talked about that last week a little bit. Um, the video was a little glitchy, <laughs> but I got most of it. Oh. Um, Gabriel appears in the temple as Zachariah's offering the incense. The incense was a picture of prayer. <laughs> People were gathered outside at what they called the hour of prayer in those days. And uh, Gabriel appears there by the altar of incense and says, Zachariah, your prayers have been heard and you're going to have a son. Uh, God hadn't forgotten Zachariah's prayers, but God was doing something bigger. Uh, Gabriel goes on to say, and you're going to name him John. Now, more like Yochanan, but what it means is the Lord shows mercy. Through all this time, from Adam and Eve down to the time of Zachariah and Elizabeth, God is showing his mercy. Uh, God's not wiping us out. <laughs> uh, God continues to have this plan that he's working to redeem us. And so, <laughs> Gabriel says to Zechariah, you're going to name him, the Lord shows mercy. And then as we read in the passage today, Six months later, Gabriel's sent to Mary. And <laughs> Gabriel says to Mary, uh, Hail, favored one. You know, not <laughs> hail Mary full of grace. Hail Mary who has received grace. That's <laughs> the better translation. Yeah. <laughs> and as Grant pointed out last week, when people encounter angels, they're not just pretty little feminine characters who <laughs> make you all happy. They're fearful, uh, powerful. Uh, the normal response for a person when they see an angel, if they don't faint dead away, is to be in terror. And uh, <laughs> Gabriel tells Mary what's happening. Now, she's unlike... Um, Zachariah. They both had a question. You remember Zachariah's question? How do I know this is going to happen? <laughs> Not wise to challenge Gabriel. You want a sign? Okay, Zachariah. If that's the best you got to say, you won't be able to say another thing until it happens. Um, Mary's question is different. She's not challenging Gabriel. She's really asking, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I'm a virgin. <laughs> and Gabriel tells her, God will take care of that. The Holy Spirit is going to take care of that. You don't have to do anything except in faith believe. But Gabriel... 
I should say God, knows our weaknesses. Mary didn't ask for a sign, but Gabriel gave her one anyway. Uh, are, are you with me? <laughs> Zacharias asking for a sign. How do I know that I should believe this? As though seeing Gabriel standing by the altar wasn't enough. Well, he got a sign. Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but she receives one. God knows our frailty, and he will provide what we need in order to believe. You see, I think that's why... Um, I think that's why people will be without excuse. Uh, I really think that for the most part, people believe what they want to believe. Um, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was delayed in my trip to Kenya this time. And, and by the way, I, I forgot something in the beginning. Thank all of you who prayed for the Kenya trip. And for those of you who helped with, because things went very well again. I, ho I hope I get a chance to, um, I plan to get a chance <laughs> to give you a more detailed report. Uh, but uh, uh, my trip to Kenya was delayed by about half a day. Uh, but the nice thing was that uh, from London to Nairobi, they upgraded me into business class. And, and that's very nice. I've never flown business class on a long flight before. <laughs> uh, they, uh, they have the seats that recline down. Unfortunately, I'm just a little too long to, <laughs> to fit with that flat. <laughs> but uh, uh, service, space, you know, nice wide seats. It's just really nice. I was seated beside a lady who, uh, I think she said she was 77. That uh, lady was a talker. Uh, she just, uh, not offensive, but she just, uh, when we weren't sleeping, she liked to carry on conversation. She was good at it. But um, uh, she, was, she was talking a little bit, and I asked her what she was doing. She said, well, my family and I are going on safari. And then she asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I mainly go to teach in the rural Bible schools. And she uh, she said, well, do you mean that you believe the Bible? You must believe the Bible if you teach it, but it didn't, it didn't add up to her. She couldn't, she couldn't fathom that, that somebody with an education who could talk about things like Big Bang Theory and, <laughs> and so forth uh, would actually believe the Bible. She said, well, isn't the Bible just some nice stories that, as they've been translated different languages, have changed over the years, and, and if, you, if you could really see the original, they wouldn't even be recognizable. It was obvious that, uh, <laughs> that she'd never really read the Bible. Are you getting me? If you read the Bible, number one, you know it's not a bunch of nice stories. As I point out to her, a lot of those stories are not so nice. And uh, secondly, she had never looked into it for herself as to how the Bible has come down to us. 
she, she just, I, I don't think she really believed me when I told her that, you know, uh, we translate the Bible from the original languages, from the Hebrew and Greek. It hasn't come, she was Swedish, although she was married to uh, an Englishman, and they lived in Edinburgh. Uh, but uh, she couldn't believe that, you know, the Swedish Bible had come from the, the original Hebrew and Greek. She thought it had come through a whole bunch of different translations in different languages, and somehow the stories had just changed and propagated. Who could really believe that anyway? Uh, but she had her mind made up. I think most people believe what they want to believe. Uh, and, and I think God takes away our excuses by giving us enough evidence, not enough to overwhelm us, so that we don't have a choice, but enough that if we want to believe, there's plenty of evidence to believe. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, uh, you see so much of that, or I do anyway, in the world today, that there are um, there are biases, especially in the Western educational system, that teach children that if you're an intelligent, educated person, you just don't believe these old myths. That's nonsense. I mean, <laughs> uh, the people who propagate that have never really investigated it, for the most part. Um, Gabriel gives uh, Mary some assurance. Mary, your cousin Elizabeth, or aunt probably, your near kinswoman is the, the real translation. Um, uh, we know it wasn't on her father's side because her father's side is descended from David. Probably on her mother's side. Her mother's side were probably connected to uh, the, the Levites, the priestly tribe. Uh, but your near kinswoman, or your aunt probably, uh, is already six months pregnant. And Mary, <laughs> you know that wasn't going to happen. Uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth were old, and they'd never been able to have children. And so here, here's the kindness of God. Um, God cares about people so much that he didn't wipe us all out and start from scratch. Uh, so much that he uh, continued to work for our benefit through all the rebellion, all the messiness in this world, all the terrible things that people have done, and he's still doing what? Redeeming a people. He, he, he's still providing the sacrifice to cover for our guilt. Here he's sending Jesus. And the name Jesus means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. What does he save us from? Well, self-destruction to start with. And, and from his own wrath, secondly... Uh, oh, the, uh, the patience, the love of God. We should really appreciate that this 
Christmas season. That God has done so much. Uh, now again, I keep saying it's a long time as we count time. For God, what's six or eight or 10,000 years? Well, when you dwell in eternity, <laughs> a thousand years isn't much. Uh, but he's, he's just been so, so patient with us, so kind to us. He, he loves us so much that he's, here he is sending Jesus to be born as a human being. And not in Caesar's household. He could have done that. But not in Caiaphas' household. Uh, not the one who'd come into the world as a privileged child, but one who will come into the world to be born of this young woman who is, in the world's eyes, a nobody. Uh, just, a, uh, just a poor young lady in the nowhere place of Nazareth. You know, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Uh, to be born under, shall we say, suspect circumstances. The young woman was engaged, and so what's the whole community going to think? And to live a life that, well, as we go through Luke, we'll see more of that. Uh, but a life that's not easy, a life that's not privileged. A life that's not honored in his time. Oh yes, there were, there were those who came for the healings. There were those who came to have the demons cast out. Uh, there were those who uh, came for the food. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, they were desperately searching for the, the next day because they want him to keep providing bread. Uh, but one who came to really, uh, really relate to us, to, to, to come to be, as Luke says again and again, the Son of Man. The one who is tempted in every way as we are. And who would then die for us. That's, that's the story that we have here in Luke um, it's, um, it's almost beyond comprehension. Uh, I, I think as Dan was saying in class, uh, Sunday school class today, uh, that uh, we've heard these things so often that they tend not to really cut our hearts like they did <laughs> on the day of Pentecost to those people who heard Peter, Peter preaching. That... Um, uh, somehow, um, we have a hard time being moved by them. And yet, God is being patient with us, too. Uh, we come to this season that we call Advent. Advent uh, is a Latin word that means, or a, uh, yeah, Latin word that means coming. And it really has three tenses to it. We, we should think of it at all three tenses as we come into the Advent season, this first Sunday of Advent. Uh, one is the past tense. We look at this account and Jesus came. Okay. 
this is history. This is, this is true history. Uh, this is not a myth that was made up somewhere. There's more documentation for this history than there is for most history. Uh, there are very few historians that would question the stories about Alexander the Great. There's far more evidence for the stories of Jesus than there is for the stories of Alexander the Great. Uh, Jesus came, and we celebrate that. Uh, uh, you know, our nativity scenes, uh, uh, the things we're doing tonight to, for the hanging of the greens, uh, most of it is looking back and saying, Hallelujah, Jesus came. We celebrate that Jesus came. Uh, we don't know the season of Christmas, really. Um, this was not arbitrarily chosen, but chosen for some <laughs> odd reasons as to why we celebrate this time of year. Uh, but he did come. Um, second meaning of Advent is a present tense. Uh, Jesus still comes. As I said when we began the service, where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there. I hope that this Advent season we will be aware of the coming of Jesus in the present tense. That he's, he's alive. He's here today. <laughs> he died almost 2,000 years ago and yet he lives. And he's here with us. The third sense of Advent is the future sense. That he's coming again. Now, why did I take the time to just very quickly summarize this history? <laughs> because God's made other promises. In fact, it was referred to already today. That there are still promises that he hasn't fulfilled. Is he going to fulfill them? <laughs> well, I hope you believe that. Uh, through whatever time it was, six, eight, ten thousand years, I don't know, from Adam and Eve until Jesus came the first time. There were many who gave up the hope. There are many that forgot. But God never forgot. He, he's the God who remembers. And He still remembers what He has said. And Jesus is coming again. Now again, I don't know when. Uh, we, had, uh, we had someone back in 2012 saying they knew the day. Uh, I'm old enough to remember back in 88 when there was somebody who knew the day. It, that's been something that's happened and it's just a recurring thing. If the Lord doesn't return soon, it'll happen again. Somebody will get out there and start preaching. I know the day. He's coming back on this day. Uh, that's, yeah. I was in Kasumu in March of 2012, and my students came to me and said, uh, there's this man who's preaching this. Uh, what do you think? And I said, that's very easy. <laughs> Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, so if he says he knows the day, he's a liar. And they said, but a lot of people are leaving our churches to follow him. 
it's, it's tragic, really. Uh, why were they leaving the churches? Because they'd had no decent teaching. They, they didn't know any better. I hope you all know better. <laughs> Uh, the, the next good speaker, you know, the next really clever speaker that comes along and tells you they know when Jesus is going to return, uh, don't listen to them. They're a liar. It's, it's happened before it will happen again and, and until the day when Jesus actually does come. Uh, but the day will come. Just as surely as God fulfilled uh, easily over 300 prophecies in the first coming of Jesus. Now, I, the more carefully I read the Bible, the more I think that <laughs> uh, I see things that were fulfilled in his first coming. Uh, but uh, I also uh, see a lot of things that haven't been fulfilled yet. But I believe they will be. Uh, Jesus is coming again. And so the message here, it's not from Gabriel. <laughs> you don't have uh, the angel speaking to you today. Uh, but the message today is, are you ready? God loves people. God's got this long-term program that he's working faithfully uh, to redeem people to himself. And God will give you the amount of assurance you need if you're willing to believe in him. But for us, we've only got a short time here. No, <laughs> we've got uh, uh, maybe another day, maybe another year. Maybe another 10, 20, 30 years. What's that? Uh, we're, we're talking about thousands of years. Uh, but for us, we've only got a short window of opportunity. And the Bible says very clearly, today is the day of salvation. Are you ready today? Uh, because none of us know what our span is. I, I joke sometimes that I'm already in overtime. <laughs> you know, Psalm 90 says the, uh, the days of the years of man's life are, are 70 years. Or maybe by reason of strength, 80 years. Well, <laughs> I've passed the 70s. So <laughs> uh, in, uh, in Kenya, they really like real football. You know, what we call soccer. <laughs> and you know how soccer games go? There's 90 minutes, but at the end there's always time tacked on. Uh, for uh, stoppage time tacked on. Well, <laughs> we, we don't know. Any of us may be in our extra minutes now. Time might be running out now. Uh, so, get ready. God is going to do what he said he would do. Uh, he, he did it. Here in, in the first part of Luke, we, we see the message of how he did it. How, how he prepared uh, not just Gabriel, but even Zacharias, mother and father, were somehow inspired to give him that name. Elizabeth's mother and father were somehow inspired to give her that name. 
Uh, <laughs> we don't have to guess about the inspiration for John's name or Jesus' name. Uh, God spent, sent specific message through Gabriel to give those names. Uh, but we see how God is working in the big things and in the small things. Uh, that he's always at work, we just don't see it. And so, um, let me suggest, um, one of the things I got to do this year is to teach Ephesians. That was a lot of fun. That was, that was what I enjoyed the most. Uh, Ephesians talks about how we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places as his people. But at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, it recognizes our problem. Our problem is that we tend to believe what we see. You know, we have that saying, seeing is believing. Well, not so much anymore with computer graphics and all they can do now. It's becoming harder to... <laughs> uh, but uh, the things that we're talking about here are things that cannot be seen with our natural eyes. What we need is spiritual sight to see them. And so at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, uh, there's a prayer. What do we need to do? We need to pray for spiritual sight. Paul prays for the Ephesians that, I pray you'd be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your hearts might be enlightened so that you might know <laughs> the hope of your calling, the riches of his inheritance in the saints, and the power that is at work in us. That's the same power that, you know, just a few years later from this, 33, 34 years later, raised Jesus from the grave to the throne of the universe. Um, so, I'm going to suggest to our church that we do what I suggest that the churches in Kenya do. Uh, let's pray. Oh, it's good to pray for the small things. I mean, we, <laughs> we're supposed to pray for the small things. Uh, but let's pray for some of the big things, like, number one, spiritual sight. Uh, and, and we need to pray for ourselves first. I know I need to pray for myself. But, but uh, let's pray for this church that God would open up our spiritual eyes to see the, the truth. I think you all know the definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says uh, that faith is a substance of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. Well, let's pray that God would give us the spiritual sight to see the things not seen. To, uh, to become a people of faith where this, uh, this isn't just a story to us, but it really touches our lives. That uh, we have um, We have the ability to really comprehend the mercy of God, the, the love of God for us.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you on this uh, day that we've come to call the first Sunday of Advent. Thankful for the way that you have worked through history and in our lives to bring us to this place, this time. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, open up our spiritual eyes to see the truth, to uh, comprehend what it is that you've done for us, your love for us, and your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, uh, ask that we might really uh, be changed uh, this Advent season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.